0: Luke 13, to 30, page 1047 of the Pew Bible, page 1047. And as we read this part of the Bible together, we do, of course, remember that it is God's Word to us. Luke 13, beginning at verse 22. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as He made His way to Jerusalem. Someone asked Him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. Amen. And we thank God for His Word to us this morning. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 13. Uh, This morning and this evening are really one-off sermons. Uh, This morning, we're looking at this encounter that Jesus has as He's making His way to Jerusalem. And you'll find Luke 13 on page uh, 1047 in the Pew Bibles, page 1047. Uh, Trust that you've had a, a quiet and peaceful Christmas. We often say that at this time of year, it's hard to believe it's all over given the rush and the fuss that we go to. Uh, We we have a few Christmas traditions within our families, but one that never fails to appear in my family is each year my dad's announcement at some point on Christmas evening that Christmas is now over for another year and is as far away as ever. There's always somebody who says it. But for many of us, the, the week between Christmas and New Year is often the quietest week of the year. It's a time when we take a break, catch up with family members, and generally just take things a little bit easier. It's also a time when we take stock on what the past year has brought. It's an opportunity to look back and consider all that we've seen and been through. But time waits for no one, and as this year comes to a close, we're one year closer to eternity. And eternity is a subject on which Jesus spoke at great length. He took time to teach people about it, he took time to warn people about it, and it's the subject of eternity that Jesus speaks of in Luke 13. As we come to think about this passage, it's worth remembering that the Bible gives us no specific teaching about what or how the end will come. Jesus says very clearly that the end will come. He speaks of wars, rumors of wars, nation rising against nation, famines and earthquakes, but then he says, all these things are but the beginning of the birth pains. At no point did Jesus say, I will come back on this date and at this time. He actually even said that he doesn't know the date of his return, only the Father knows. The thing about Jesus' teaching on the end of time and history is that he doesn't attempt to explain it in intricate detail. When he speaks about eternity, his point is often that people need to be ready for it rather than worrying about how or when it will happen, Jesus wants people to know and do something else. He wants people to know that they need to trust Him before the end comes. And that's what we're going to see in this section of Luke. This morning, we're jumping right into the heart of Luke's gospel. By this point, in Luke's account of the life of Jesus, Christ has turned His face towards Jerusalem. He's resolved to go to the city in which He will die And in this part of his gospel, Luke is recording conversations that Jesus has on the road to Jerusalem. He's tracking him. Why are we jumping right into the heart of Luke's gospel this morning, though? Well, as we've already said, on the final day of the year, it is worth our remembering that there will be a final day in history, that the great day will come when the final whistle will be blown on the affairs of this world. At Christ- Christmas time, we take time to think about Jesus' first advent, his first appearing, but it's also an opportunity to, for us to think about his second advent. We've sang the carol once in Royal David City, several times over the past few weeks. In the final verse, it says, Not in that poor lowly stable, with the oxen standing by, we shall see him, but in heaven, set at God's right hand on high. You see, as we think about the Christmas story, we have to remember that the baby born in Bethlehem will one day come back to judge the world. And we have to be ready for that day, for the day when the door will be shut. You might be here this morning, and it might be the case that you don't know Jesus. This passage is going to make you think about your need to come to know Him. There's also encouragement for us in this passage if we know Jesus— It may be the case that 2017 was the most difficult and challenging year of your Christian life. It may be the case that 2017 was the most blessed and fruitful year of your Christian life. It may be the case that 2017 was somewhere in between being the most difficult and most fruitful. Wherever we are in our walk with the Lord, there's encouragement to keep going in 2018. We're going to see that Jesus doesn't say, Take it easy through the narrow door he says, make every effort and strive to enter through it. What we're going to see is that this passage is a call to strive after God, and surely that's something we all need to hear as we begin a new year tomorrow. So, let's look at this passage together. We're going to think about three things as we look at these verses. In Luke 13, Jesus is going to show us what we need to know about eternity, what we need to do in light of eternity, and who we need to trust before eternity. So first of all, let's see what Luke 13 tells us, what we need to know about eternity. So Jesus is on the road at this point, of, in, at this point in Luke, Luke's been tracking his movements and a, a question comes up that's asked of Jesus, it comes in verse 23, Jesus is asked, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Now the question comes across as a little bit smug. It's likely that it came from a Jew, and behind the question would have been a belief that all Jews were going to be saved. That's essentially what they believed, that everyone would go to heaven and that only really, really bad people would be punished. The person's question here is quite a theoretical one. You can imagine that they maybe heard of Jesus and thought, if I ever get the chance to speak to Jesus, this is the question that I'm going to ask him. turns out that they get their opportunity the opportunity that they've been waiting for, but Jesus turns their theoretical and perhaps even speculative question into a teaching point. He gives this person a practical answer. Look at what he says in verse 24. He says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. So what is it we need to know about eternity? Well, Jesus tells this person and tells us that to spend eternity with God, we have to go through the narrow door. The the narrowness of the Christian faith is not something that's overly popular in our culture today. It's something that's attacked and rejected, because it's more appealing to say that there are many ways to God rather than just one, but it's something that Luke wants to say again and again as he tracks Jesus' life and ministry. The way to God is narrow. Really helpful way to think about this is to think about a footballer trying to score a goal. So, if Gary Hamilton's playing for Glenavon, if Harry Kane's playing for Spurs, they can't score a goal by kicking the ball anywhere in the opponent's end of the pitch. They're limited to the goalposts. To be precise, they're limited to the, the 7.32 meters between the posts. You don't get a goal for aimlessly kicking the ball down the field. So too with Christianity. You aren't accepted by God unless you go through the narrow door. This is what Jesus wants us to know about eternity. The other thing that Jesus wants us to know from this passage is that there's judgment coming for us all in eternity. You see this in verse 25. To help us listeners understand what he's trying to teach them, Jesus uses an illustration. He says, Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, You will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Jesus here uses the image of a door being shut. The owner of the house will get up and shut the door. It's just an illustration of what God will do at the end of time. It's an image that, again, is repeated right throughout the Bible. So, so, so right back in Genesis, God shuts the door of the ark when Noah and his family are safely gathered in. You see, there's a day set in the calendar of God where he will wrap up history and close the narrow door. One of the most peculiar and unusual stories of the year was the announcement that the doomsday clock had been moved forward by 30 seconds. In case you're wondering, the doomsday clock is a metaphor for how close the world is to catastrophe. So, when the minute hand gets to midnight to 12, it's apparently apocalypse time. It was created in 1947 by the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, who are a group of physicists and environmental scientists. The announcement was made back in January of this year, and the 30 second move forward means that the minute hand on the clock is just two and a half minutes away from midnight. It's the closest it's been to 12 in 20 years. The reason given for the move forward was because, quote, of a darkening security landscape and comments made by Donald Trump. Now, it's an intriguing story. When the story was reported back in January, there was an obvious fascination with it, with theories surrounding the apocalypse, with theories around how the end would come. It's one of those stories that that makes an appearance as the last item on the 10 o'clock news, But in some ways, therein lies the problem. People are fascinated by how the world will come to an end. They want to know what will happen and when it will happen. I'm sure people stood around listening to Jesus as He was speaking about the end all those years ago, and they were wondering, when will the end come? They maybe moved their metaphorical clocks forward 30 seconds because of comments made by Jesus Christ. But this is what Jesus wanted them to know and wants us to know that to be with God, we have to go through the narrow door, and that there is judgment coming for us in eternity. He's telling us this because He wants us to trust Him. Now, it's worth pausing this morning and asking ourselves, have we fully understood these things? If you haven't, then we'd love to to take time with you in the new year to go through Christianity Explored and think about sin and judgment and what Jesus says, What this part of the Bible is telling us is that the landing strip to God is narrow. We're restricted to the limits of the airfield. And it's also telling us that one day we'll give an account for our lives. And that's not something we can put away or hope to forget about even in the new year. If If we have or we haven't comprehended these things, then there's help from Jesus. Because not only does He tell us what we need to know about eternity... But he also tells us what we need to do in light of eternity. You see it peppered through the passage. To come back to the person's question, and as we've already said, Jesus changes a theological debate into a personal challenge. Look again at Jesus' reply. He says, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. So instead of answering the person's question, Jesus turns, turns around and says, Never mind how many people will be saved. Just make sure you're one of them. Notice how he says, I tell you. Jesus specifically challenges the interrogator instead of engaging in a theological debate. And what he tells this person to do is make every effort. The word used in the original is the Greek word agonizomai, from which we get our word agonize. Agonize. So, Jesus is putting it across in the strongest way possible that we're to strive, that we're to make every effort to enter His kingdom. Now, let's stop for a moment and say say very clearly that we don't get through the narrow door through anything that we do. Salvation is something that we can't get or achieve by ourselves. It must come from outside of us, and we've just been singing that in the Lord is my salvation. The grace of God has reached for me and pulled me from the raging sea and I am safe on the solid ground. The Lord is my salvation. The Bible is so clear that we can't reach God by ourselves. So, what does Jesus mean when He says, make every effort? Well, let's remember who Jesus is speaking to. He's talking to His disciples as well as the person who has asked the question. Verse 23 gives us the impression that there are others around because it says, He said to them. Jesus is therefore speaking to His followers, and he's saying, make every effort to enter my kingdom. He doesn't want his followers to presume on their salvation. He doesn't want them to become lazy and say, you know what, I'm in the kingdom anyway. I can do what I want. What Jesus says here has urgency because he says, many will try to enter and will not be able to. Now, Jesus doesn't want to inject false fear in us if we're following him, If we know him, he doesn't want us to walk out of church this morning thinking, am I really a Christian? But he does want us to examine our lives to make sure that we're heading through the narrow door. He wants us to agonize over entering his kingdom. It's what we need to do in light of eternity. A good way to think about striving after Jesus is to think about going to a football match or a rugby match or a concert. So, you've got your ticket, and on your ticket is your block number, your row number, and your seat number. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I have a ticket like that, I don't just walk in through the entrance to the ground or the concert hall and say, Do you know what, I'm here now, just stand around and see what happens. No, I'll make every effort to make it to my seat. Strive to get past all the people standing around, all the people in my way. Make sure that I get past the people in my row to get to my seat because I want to be there. I want to see the match want to hear all my favorite songs. It's the same with following Jesus. The question Jesus is asking us if we've trusted Him is, do you have an authentic relationship with me? And the evidence of having an authentic relationship is seen in how we're following Him. If we're following Jesus, we'll strive to get past the things that hold us back. My guess is that for most of us, 2017 has been a good year and a bad year, maybe sense that we're closer to the Lord than we were 12 months ago, but we're also probably aware of the sin and unbelief that has persistently held us back as well. If we're Christians, what we need to do in light of eternity, and perhaps as a new year begins, is strive after God, strive for a deeper and more fruitful relationship with the Lord. What do you need to do in light of eternity if you don't know Jesus yet? What this part of the Bible is telling you is that you're in great danger if you don't know Jesus. Jesus warns that people will plead to enter, and they will say, we ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But that in itself is not enough. Jesus' reply to that will be, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. Now, from reading those words, we don't necessarily understand how shocking they would have been Jesus was speaking to to Jews who who were listening, and what he says here is basically judgment on the Jewish nation. People have ate and drank with him, him. They've heard him teach, but Jesus will say to some of them, I don't know you. What's missing for the people pleading to get in is a personal relationship. The people knocking and banging the door have only got a superficial relationship with the owner of the house. It's a little bit like going to a wedding and looking for your name on the table plan. You know, you look for Kennedy, Kennedy. It isn't there, so you you try and look for it on the table. Kennedy, Kennedy, it's not there. You go around every table and you can't find it. You try and speak to the groom, and he just looks at you and he says, I I don't know you. What are you doing here? Get out. You're not invited. What's missing is the personal relationship. Now, that's never happened to me, thankfully. But what's missing is the personal relationship. This morning, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, He tells you you that you need to trust Him. That's the third and final thing we see in this passage. We see who we need to trust before eternity. Very simply, it's Jesus Himself. The consequences of not trusting in Jesus are clearly laid out for us in verse 28. Jesus says, There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth, when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. The question that's often asked of these these words is whether or not they're to be understood to be what hell is literally like. It's best to understand them as metaphors. The weeping, the gnashing of teeth are powerful ways of conveying that punishment will occur in hell. These words are a sober warning to make friends with Jesus while we may, The way Jesus speaks here tells us that there will be no change to our status beyond this life. If we don't trust him in this life, we won't be able to in the next. It's important to say that it's not only hell that's mentioned, though, in this passage, but heaven as well. You get a picture of what heaven will be like in verses 29 and 30. We read, people will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and first who will be last. The thing to notice is that though the door to God is narrow, though we can only get through the narrow door by trusting in Jesus, His kingdom is broader than we could ever imagine. People from north, south, east, and west will come to the feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jews again would have been shocked listening to this, It sounds here like Jesus is including Gentiles in His kingdom. They wouldn't have wanted or expected that. But Jesus is telling His audience that His kingdom is a kingdom that will include people that we don't expect, and it will be amazing and will go on forever. On the final page of His book in the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis puts together a beautiful picture of what heaven will be like. We've quoted these verses here in Hill Street regularly, Aslan is speaking to Peter and Lucy, the characters in the story. And this is how Lewis closes the book. It's a a picture of heaven. He writes, And for us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But to them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Just as there is the fear of hell, there's also the hope of heaven. Our lives here on earth are just the cover page of our eternal stories. Heaven is where the great story will begin, where God will be with His people. And it's the story that will go on forever. And every chapter will be better than the one before. This morning, if you don't know Jesus, this passage calls you to come to Him because He is the narrow door. He is our way to God. The doors of His kingdom are open at the minute, but one day they will be shut. But you can know Him personally and know Him for all eternity by trusting Him today. In closing, in verse 22, we're told that Jesus is going through towns and villages teaching as He makes His way to Jerusalem. he had set His face towards it in chapter 9, and eventually He made it to Jerusalem, and initially the crowds received Him as their King. As His time there progressed, though, the crowds cried for His murder, and after an impromptu trial, Jesus ended up carrying and then being put on a cross. And there he died for the sins of his people. There he died to make a way for, to restore our relationship with God. You see, he's the one that we need to trust because he has sacrificed himself on our behalf. He's the one we need to trust because he's the one who's coming back one day. We talk about his first Advent a lot at time, but it's also really important to talk about his second Advent. And as we stand in the mouth of another year, We've seen what we need to know about eternity, that the way to life with God in heaven is narrow, and that judgment awaits for us all. We've seen what we need to do in light of eternity, strive after God if we know Him, and follow Him wholeheartedly. And we've seen who we need to trust before eternity, Jesus Christ Himself. Something for us all here, surely. Do we have the hope of heaven or the fear of hell as we move into 2018? These are things that we should surely consider as a new year dawns. Let's pray together. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. Naked come to you for dress. Helpless look to you for grace. Stained by sin to you I cry. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Lord, as we read Luke 13, we do realize again that there is only one way to you, through trusting in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We realize that we can bring nothing in our hands, but can only cling to your cross. We pray that you'd help us to do that in 2018. For those of us who are following you, help us to strive after you and follow you more wholeheartedly. And for those of us who don't yet know you, we pray that you would open our eyes and help us to see that Jesus is our only way to a relationship with you. We pray that you bless us, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.